Now dig this, Matt. Y'all know I love stationery. Y'all know I love to take notes. I love to write. I love to write on paper. I love to write notebooks. Matt, what'd you get me for Christmas this year? I got you notebooks and pens and organizers. Correct. I love it. Uh, And I find that it genuinely helps me remember things better as opposed to typing them or like putting them on a, like a text file or whatever, actually writing something down physically helps me a lot. It helps me organize my thoughts. It helps me get my work done. And ever since I got my new uh, iPad and I got the Apple pencil with it, I have been doing that on there and that's great. The only problem I've had with it, it doesn't quite feel like writing on paper, which is a feeling I like. We have the solution to that problem. That's right. Paper-like. As I mentioned at the top of the show, it's a screen protector for your iPad. It uses a proprietary technology called NanoDots. With those NanoDots, you feel the natural resistance of paper on your iPad screen. It is a paper-like feeling on your iPad. So if you're drawing, if you're taking notes, if you're using your iPad like you would a notebook... Here's the way for it to really feel natural. And Chris, I know you love that. You you have an iPad, you got a paper like, and I'm sure it's it feels just right for you. It does. It feels great to use. Also, Matt, you know I'm very particular about paper. I have yes. specific brands of notebooks that I will and will not use, and paper like feels good on the iPad. Uh they also make accessories for the pencil to make the pencil a little more comfortable to hold. They make uh, accessories to help you clean the iPad as well. They've got it all. The ability to handwrite notes in a digital form is great to begin with, but getting that extra tactile feeling that makes me happy while I do it, (laughs) that gives me that little dopamine, that little serotonin burst that I like to have, is fantastic. The latest version of the Paperlike is manufactured in Switzerland using high-quality plastic foils designed for maximum picture clarity. You're not going to lose any of the definition of your iPad screen if you put a paper-like on there. And these foils are developed exclusively for paper-like products. It also always comes in a set of two, so you have a spare. Look, we know a lot of artists listen to this show. If you're an artist and you're looking for a way to make drawing on your iPad feel a little bit better... This is how you do it. So, to pick up your Paperlike, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, click Buy Paperlike, and select your iPad size. From now, right now, until the end of January, Paperlike is also including their Digital Pro Planner Bundle at no extra cost for every order placed through the Paperlike store. Plus, shipping is completely free. So if you're ready to do more with your iPad, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, to get started. Clytus, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? That's more Rocket Ajax to bring back his body. Hello, everybody, and welcome to War Rocket Ajax. This is the internet's most explosive comic book and pop culture podcast, and we are your hosts. My name is Chris Sims. With me, as always, is Matt Wilson. Matt, how are you? Chris, I'm holding a microphone in my hand. 
much like Elvis Costello holds that Bakelite. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm reminded of the early days, my early days on this podcast when you, I yeah use a rock band microphone for a significant amount of time, longer than I should have. Yeah, longer than you should have. Uh, but th- this is this is the microphone I usually use to record the show. But right before we started recording, as I like tightened the piece that holds it onto my boom arm, it just like the pl- one of these plastic pieces just like broke, and mm-hmm. the microphone no longer was on the stand. And now I have to <laughs> hold it. Manually, <laughs> which after just a little while of doing this, I don't want to do this anymore. I want my microphone stand back. I don't like it. I don't like it holding a microphone. Well, Matt, I will. I will make this go as quickly as I can. <laughs> maybe this. Maybe this is the sign we need to stop doing the gimmick street bit. Maybe so. Uh, Chris, are you okay? How you doing? Ah, uh, you know. Getting through it. Yeah, we're getting through it. My my microphone is firmly attached to the boom arm. It's it's true what they say. It is all about the boom. Adam Cole Bebe. Yeah. We're all getting through it, but hey, you know what's going to help you get through it for the next 90 minutes or so? Is this great episode of War Rocket Ajax we have? That is right. That is right. And uh, we have a wonderful guest on this week's show. Someone, longtime listeners of the show, will be very familiar with and know very well. Jeremy Whitley is joining us on the program this week to talk about The Dog Knight, uh, Jeremy's new middle grade graphic novel, as well as his recent run on Gwenpool. Uh, so that should be very, very fun to talk to Jeremy. Chris, your dog is especially excited about Dog Knight. Yeah, uh, but she's especially excited about something. <laughs> she's she's in a mood tonight. Yeah, we we both have our things that are happening during the recording of tonight's show. Yeah, but but Jeremy is going to help us put a positive spin on those things, or, or so or so he says. That's right, and also Chris. You know who really helps put a positive spin on the show? All of our supporters I would say over anyone on, who gives me money. And all of our supporters over on Patreon is exactly what I was about to say. That's right, Matt. Now these are the people who in 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 times long past, times long ago, these are the people who would have to to get a check, a money order, maybe even send cash to, to they they would get the the self-addressed stamped envelope and then they would put that envelope in another envelope, and then that would go. All, they would mail it to six thirty-five Gimmick Street. But folks, you don't have to do that anymore. What you can do is go all the way down to Patreon.com/slash/WarRocketAjax, and that's where you can kick in as little as a dollar a month to help us pay those gimmicks they keep sending in the mail called bills. That's right, Chris. And here are our newest Patreon supporters. They include. Miles Lobdell. Ah, thank you, Miles. A returning patron, I believe. Yes, and Matt with one T. That's seventy-five percent of your name. That is seventy-five percent of my name. 
if you would like to be like Miles and Matt and help us out here on the show, help us keep doing this show weekly to do comics catch up monthly, which we have a comics catch up coming up that certain people on our discord will be very happy about. Uh, to do Every Story Ever specials every month, to do Movie Fighters and Snack Situation. All of those shows are made possible by our listener support on Patreon. Uh, Patreon is what makes this show keep coming every week and then some. So uh, thank you to all of our supporters on Patreon. As a patron, you get every single one of those shows I just mentioned completely ad-free, everything that we put out. You can also get bonus audio at the $5 level, as well as other bonus content, including writing that Chris does on the Patreon and that I very occasionally do over there. Uh, You can get line-stepping privileges for our segments, our listener participation segments, which currently are Every Story Ever and Thursday Night Raw. You can get physical rewards over there. I will go out of my way this coming week to send off the design we have for our 2023 t-shirt to the t-shirt printer. And uh, we'll be getting those t-shirts off to folks very soon. I actually, I think I need to ask patrons for their t-shirt sizes in the next little while. So if you're at that level on the Patreon, Watch out this week for me asking for your t-shirt size. Then we can really get the ball rolling on that. I would say there's a really good chance that uh, sometime in the near future, you might be getting some Lizzie Take a Boko. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Just, you know, you I, 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 a thought. A thought. You might. You might just. Something to look forward to. If you're unable to help us monetarily on Patreon, Look, we understand. Sometimes you're not able to do that. You can help us out in other ways. You can leave us a five-star review on the podcasting app that you use, whether that's Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. You can also help us out by just telling your friends about the show, spreading the word about the show, getting the word out about War Rocket Ajax and how people should listen to it. So uh, you can help us out by doing that as well. Chris, with that, it is time to do some checks and wrecks. What do you say? Let's do it. Chris, what do you have to check in with this week? Matt, as you know, I've got the depression. Mm, yeah. And, and sometimes, uh, despite the, the medication, uh, d- despite the... the actually getting out of the house a little bit it it rears its its head at me and and i i get a little down i get very very down so just yesterday as we're as we're recording this at some point in the past for you uh, i went to the mall of america ooh now, that is my local mall, <laughs> which is weird. Uh-huh. It's weird that my local mall, like where I go when I need to go to Lush and Sephora, also has a full-ass amusement park in it. Like an indoor beach? 
like like I can I can go swing by Barnes and Noble and then also meet Michelangelo the Ninja Turtle if I want to. <laughs> it's weird, uh, but I went there and I, I specifically went there uh, to run one errand, and that is that I forgot to go ahead and pre-order The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. And I will say, this little depressive episode could not have come as a worse time, because I was already feeling like, if that game comes out and it's not the best game I've ever played, I might just walk into the ocean. (laughs) That's a big ask. That's a big ask, buddy. I mean, well, they're making a sequel to Breath of the Wild, man. I didn't tell them to do that. Did I? That's a good point. That's a good point. No, they did it on their own. I mean, look, here's what we know about Zelda direct sequels. They're weird as hell. Yes. So, I don't know. That could be a good thing or a bad thing. I mean... Like, Link's Awakening isn't that weird, and that's a direct sequel to to uh, Link to the Past. Yeah, I guess the ones I'm thinking of are the... What is it? Zelda the f- 2. Well, Zelda 2 is weird as hell, for sure. And Majora's Mask, yeah. And then there was a sequel to Wind Waker, the one that had four Links. Was was Four Swords a direct sequel to Wind Waker? I think so. I don't think it was. It it, uh, it just maybe it just had the same art style as Wind Waker, but I thought it was a direct sequel to Wind Waker. Perhaps I am mistaken. Anyway, I'm sorry. Four Swords is a is a sequel to Wind Waker, isn't it? Four Swords Adventures. Four Swords Adventures is the one I'm thinking of. Okay. Anyway, that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is I went there to pre-order it because that's where my local GameStop is. Mm-hmm. It's near the um, the laser tag combat uh, arena that has a uh, bootleg version of Sienna Miller as the Baroness from G.I. Joe the Rise of Cobra. Okay. Uh, like 20 feet tall on the wall. You know the place. It's called Tuck. Uh-huh. It's for tactical urban combat. <laughs> I don't know, but the next time you come up here, you and me are going to Tuck. All right. Settled. We're going to Tuck. So while I was there, I went to the game store, because I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll go buy myself some Dungeons & Dragons accessories, and that'll cheer me up and make me feel a little bit better. Uh, and I went, and I, I first of all, I bought a book I already own. Which meant that uh, my my plan for feeling better involved me feeling like a fucking dumbass when I got home. But uh, I also got some dice, Matt. Now you are a you are a man of Dungeons and Dragons. Now I am now. I I've never played a game of Dungeons and Dragons where I use physical dice. But yes, yeah, do you do you own dice? Yes, I do. It's it's like a diamond, right? It's a pyramid. A pyramid. Oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. A diamond is like a D6? No, D6 is a cube. D8 is a diamond. You're really I, having some trouble with it, man. <laughs> I cannot imagine the dice in my in my head. Go ahead. <laughs> I, I could have just asked you, like, imagine like a, like a four-sided polyhedron in general. 
That would have been easier for me, yes. But by the way, I, I'm distracted because I'm looking up the actual direct sequels to Wind Waker, which were Phantom Hourglass and Spirit Tracks. Okay, those were Spirit Tracks especially was a little bit weird. Yeah. Uh, Four Swords Adventures came out around the same time, but is set in a different time period. Please continue. Yeah. That's the one where there's four links. <laughs> yes. Because he gets a sword that makes four of them, which is a weird power for a sword to have. Anyway, Matt, I got some dice. I was like, hey, can I see these dice? They look pretty cool. And the guy pulled them out, and I was like, oh, these are nice. They're slightly larger than uh, than the, your normal dice, but not you know not so big that like the bigness is a thing. But like the D twenty is like you know ten percent larger than my other D twenties. But Matt, these D fours aren't pyramids. The D4s are not a terrible shape that if you drop them on the floor and step on them, you will want you will lay down and pray for death. Okay. Well, they're, what, what are they? They're like, imagine a D6, like a, a cube, but two of the sides. Like, like, okay, imagine, imagine you're holding a, a cube. The sides where you have your hands, the opposite ends, mm-hmm. are rounded so that it can't, like, stay on those. And they're rounded in perpendicular directions. So one of them is, like, north-south, one of them is east-west. So okay. when you roll it, it lands on one of the other four sides. Matt, it's a D4 that's not a pyramid, and this has fucked my worldview. <laughs> Nothing I know is real anymore, and maybe th- maybe there's a better world out there after all. The world in which Tears of the Kingdom is as good as Breath of the Wild. You do have some hope left, is what you're saying. I do. Things are looking up. That's good. That's good. I bought some. They had some some Pride Flag dice uh, made by this uh, this company. I should say uh, the company, not a sponsor, but could be. Let's see. It's just called Roll Four Initiative. Uh and they they have a they call it an arched four a r c h apostrophe d four, and that has a registered trademark symbol. Mm. So uh, definitely uh, go go look up old roll four initiative dice because I can tell you I'm a fan I'm digging it. Not a sponsor, but could be. Matt, what have you been up to this week? Well, Chris. I have a couple of small updates uh, that I want to provide. First of all, I had mentioned on the show that I had been recommended a YouTube video about the history of the peeing Calvin. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't sure if I should watch it because of indoctrination on YouTube. Yeah. You don't want to be like, oh, what's this about? And then find out it's the Zionists. A, a screed against the Zionists, yes. Yeah. Uh, well, I, folks on our Discord let me know that that video was, in fact, good. Uh, and it is by a guy by the name of Phil Edwards. And so I went and watched it, and it is good. It is I didn't realize that Phil Edwards might be the biggest peeing Calvin historian 
in existence. Like, he wrote an article some number of years ago about the peeing Calvin and trying to, like, decipher its origins and figure out where it came from. And in those years since, like, over a decade, he's gotten hundreds and hundreds of emails from people telling him peeing Calvin stories. And he has also tracked the origin of the peeing Calvin to a inter-university rivalry in Florida. If you would have stopped that sentence one word early and asked me to complete it, I would have gotten it right. <laughs> to, sometime in the 80s, I think, Florida State, and I think the University of Florida, as part of their football rivalry, somebody devised the peeing Calvin for that. And uh, also you were right about the drawing being of Calvin coming from one where Calvin is filling up a water balloon. <clears throat> but the most interesting thing about that video is why the peeing Calvin merchandise was able to proliferate so broadly and not be stopped. And it had to do with Bill Watterson being adamant about not merchandising Calvin and Hobbes. Right. It's a really, really fascinating video. Was actually. it that, like, since there was no merchandising, it wasn't preventing... Like, when you make a bootleg, it's like you're getting money that would otherwise go to the right holder, but since he was so adamant about not merchandising it, they couldn't make a case that he was losing no, it's, money? It's not even that. It's you can't defend you can't legally defend the boot against the bootleg stuff without having merchandising already, but it's a money thing. Mm. They, they they basically couldn't pay for the defense to stop the peeing Calvins. Interesting. Yeah. If they had been doing merchandising, they would have been making money that they could have used to pay lawyers to stop the P and Calvins. It's it's fascinating. It's a it's a great video. Everybody should go watch it on Phil Edwards' channel. And now I've been watching a bunch of Phil Edwards videos, uh, such as how Oreo beat Hydrox, even though Hydrox came first. Uh, he's he's got a good channel. It's uh, people should go check it out. He, he has one all about that. Cool, that cool logo that NASA had for a while. Oh, the one and, that like it, like the, the kind of looks like the Atari logo. Yeah, the worm. They call it the worm logo. It's all ba based around this like sh very brief initiative government agency had agencies had to do like modern good design. Uh, and it was just because Richard Nixon knew an artist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he couldn't have been a good artist. Come on. I I don't know, but he helped pay for good design for a couple of years. That is a that NASA logo is really cool. Uh, so thanks to folks who let me know that that video was good because it led me to some other good videos. Chris, time to make some recommendations. What do you have to recommend, Matt? Uh, as you know, <laughs> I have the depression. 
Uh, and and along with the depression, one of my other psychological problems is uh, I've got the ADHD, mm, uh, yeah. which which means that I could make a case that Vampire Survivors is the perfect video game. I mean, the fact that we seem to talk about it m- many weeks on this show, yeah, yeah, would indicate that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't like. I would be very curious if if there is uh, perhaps like a good YouTube video about like the the survivors like genre and like kind of where that comes from and if Vampire Survivors was in fact like an actual like like innovator in that field. I'd be very curious about it. Uh, Cause it was certainly the first one that I played and now I've played a bunch of them. And while a lot of them are good, many of them are not great. Yeah. Uh, but there's one that is in early access on steam that I have been, uh, I have played about a, as much of it as there is to play right now. And it is a it is definitely a thing where I really want there to be more of it, and part of that is because like it it has built in oh this like this is coming in a future update like there will be like a place on the screen where it's like oh this is where the this part of the game is going to be in the future. What's there already is intriguing enough and thoughtful enough and engaging enough and well designed enough that I'm I it is absolutely worth it to go ahead and pick it up, even while it's in early access. Uh, it is a game called Crafty Survivors. And the premise of it is that everybody in the game, you, you, you have a little village, and everybody in the game has a job in the village. So you actually start off with, uh, there's a chef that you play as, and... You go fight monsters with specific chef-themed attacks. And then that carries on so that every different character in the game plays very differently. But they're all built around this theme of their job, their their craft. And I think it's really, really clever. Uh, the chef, you can choose attacks uh, that you, you basically go either savory or sweet. Because your big special ability is triggered when your enemies have the status conditions, uh, I believe it's uh, chopped, seasoned, and roasted, or chopped, frosted, and candied. And so all of your attacks relate to that. Like, you get, like, a, a big kind of, you know, conical breath weapon attack, but it's pepper that you're throwing on them. Your basic attack is with your knife. Uh, and the object is to get as many as the en- enemies with three different attacks to trigger this bigger attack. And that's really fun. The next character that you get is a uh, a tailor, uh, a seamstress. And all of her stuff is built around dashing around the map, because every time you dash, you leave a thread behind you. And all the things that you do have to do with like electrifying the thread or or getting, you know, a better dash, or, or you know, various uh, attacks that are themed around, like, needles, threads, yarn, uh, spools, fun stuff like that. There's a, uh, a lumberjack who has a little squirrel sidekick 
And so you have to go chop down trees to fuel his attacks. And there's a farmer who has no basic attack because she has to grow all of her weapons. Uh, the, the broccoli is a big hammer. The corn is a machine gun. <laughs> uh, it's, it's very cute, very clever. Uh, there is a, uh, the, the next little bit that uh, is promised is the, uh, there's a fisherman uh, that's uh, supposed to come up soon. So I'm very intrigued to see where it goes uh, and to see how it is, uh, how they add to this setup and this really kind of clever idea and clever take on the genre. Um, In the way that Vampire Survivors you know, we've talked about it speaks the language of Castlevania without being Castlevania. This very much like speaks the language of Stardew Valley <laughs> with by being a very, very different game. And I think it's cute. I think it's clever. And I, I, I really had a good time with it. I cannot wait until there is more to do. Uh, so check out Crafty Survivors. It's also like $4. So you'll, you'll get your money's worth out of it. Uh, Matt, what do you have to recommend for the people? Chris, uh, I'm recommending a streaming television show, Mm. but with the caveat that even though there are six episodes currently available, I've only seen two. So if it gets worse, I'm sorry. Don't blame me. I've only seen two. But the two I've seen, I really enjoyed because this show is absolutely bonkers. It is on the Peacock streaming service. I know exactly the show you're about to talk about. It's called Mrs. Davis. Yes, it is. <laughs> and you might think that by virtue of the show being called Mrs. Davis, that the lead character played by Betty Gilpin is Mrs. Davis. But she's not. Betty Gilpin is a nun named Simone. Mm-hmm. Mrs. Davis is an AI that now essentially runs the world. And Simone, for reasons that by the end of the second episode are not entirely clear, hates her. Or as she insists on calling the AI, it. She she desperately hates this thing. And yet, uh, by the end of the first episode... Uh, finds herself on a quest on Mrs. Davis's behalf. I've seen this show compared to a lot of different things. Like, I've heard people call it Twin Peaks-like, and that is not exactly wrong. But when people compare this show to Twin Peaks, they are not comparing it to the ABC TV series from 1990. What they are comparing it to is Twin Peaks The Return from 2017. It is exactly the same kind of bonkers. It's it's interesting that you would say that because I, I've watched, I think, the first... I, I might have watched all six that are available. I, I definitely watched the first five. Uh, and it, it strikes me, aesthetically and tonally as being more like uh, a Brian Fuller show. Like it reminds it, for me, it has big pushing daisies vibes. Huh? Interesting. Okay. I, I never actually watched pushing daisies. So I, oh, you I can't, great. 
I can't I can't say one way or the the other. Pushing Daisies struck me as being like a very positive show, but maybe I'm totally wrong about that. I mean, it was about murders. Oh, okay. Then never mind. Yeah, uh, it's, it's Lee Pace solves murders. <laughs> okay. I guess it just had bright colors. Yes. I it's hard to know what to compare Mrs. Davis to, to be quite honest. I I see a little bit of the Watchmen TV show in it, which makes sense mm. because it's also a Damon Lindelof joint. Where it kind of goes in all these weird different directions and like there's stuff that could come back or could not. It's not entirely you're not entirely sure. Uh, but I will say this, former WCW champion David Arquette has a major role in the show. So, so at a minimum, you got to watch it for that, for him playing a magician. So I, I'm going to watch the rest. Uh, when, when Marlene and I, it's one of those shows Marlene and I need to watch together. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when we get a chance, we're definitely going to watch the rest. I, it's more than any other show that's on right now, with the exception of possibly Barry. It's one that is most likely to make me go, okay, what's going on here? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it's funny. I started watching Mrs. Davis, and then I think a couple days later, AC started watching Barry. So, Yeah. Uh, those shows are kind of weirdly similar. Uh, in that they're like comedies where characters sort of like funnily underreact to things. Yes. Yes. Uh, all right, Chris, those are our checks and recs. It is now time to talk about some comics. What do you say? Let's do it. Hey, are we just going to spend the next like 15 minutes or so talking about Batman number 900? Yeah, probably. I didn't even schedule any other comics for us to talk about. Yeah, we didn't. We didn't mention. We we did not mention uh, any other comics. Uh, just just Batman because this isn't just the Texture's Choice uh, Award winner this week. This is the Texture's Choice Award winner that also got someone who's not you or me t- telling us about this comic. <laughs> yeah, saying hey. You're going to love this when you read it. Actually, correct. multiple people have said that to us. The, the, all of them were correct. I know that uh, a friend of the show, Mike Sterling, uh, yes. took the time to give us a heads up on this one. Yes. Also, friend of the show, Jody Troutman, let us know that we were going to love Batman number 900. Now, uh, before we get into it, I do want to note, this was a huge Kyle Starks week. Yeah, this was I. Here's what I read this week. I read uh, Batman. Uh, I read Shazam, and I read the Kyle Starks triple shot. Fuck this place. Uh, where monsters lie, and Peacemaker tries hard. Peacemaker tries hard started this week. Yeah, and has Peacemaker getting uh, a little dog that looks like it's wearing a tuxedo, and so he names the little dog Bruce Wayne, mm-hmm. which is extremely funny. And uh, here's what's wild about this week's comics. Uh, and I don't mean this as a name drop, but like it is one of the benefits of comics being a relatively, you know, a relatively small industry. 
is that I finished reading Batman and I emailed Chip and told him how much I liked it. And I finished reading Shazam and I emailed Mark Wade and told him how much I liked it. And then I uh, read the other three comics and I texted Kyle and told him how much I liked them. Yeah. It was nice. The the only thing I'll say about Peacemaker's Tries Hard, like it was a very, very fun time. I was surprised by how much it was the TV show Peacemaker. I, I didn't know if it was explicitly going to be a, a, a TV tie-in or not, but boy, that is John Cena all day long. It's a thousand percent John Cena. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's also got the brain of Miss Yamala in it. So it's, it's some DCS comics too, but uh, that is definitely John Cena. Yeah. On to Batman. Here's what I didn't know when I started reading this comic, Chris. Uh-huh. This is by Chip, as you mentioned, Chip Zdarsky, and has art by Mike Hawthorne, who's been drawing the book for the last little while, as well as Jorge Jimenez and uh, Mikhail Janin. And I knew it was probably going to be the conclusion to the story where Batman goes to the alternate universe, where the Joker didn't become the Joker. Mm -hmm. And also, he just lost a hand. Mm-hmm. What I didn't know was that this was going to be Chip's version of that one Spider-Man issue, that one Peter uh, Spectacular Spider-Man issue, but for Batman. Interesting. Interesting. Because what's that one Spectacular Spider-Man issue Chip wrote and drew about? Uh, it's, it's about... It's about uh, all the people that uh, Spider-Man has interacted with and all their perceptions of Spider-Man. But but boil it down even further. It is a mission statement for Spider-Man. Uh-huh. It's, here's what Spider-Man is all about. Yeah. Here's what this guy does. Yeah. That's what this issue is for Batman. Yeah. Um, do you want to hear something hilarious? Yeah, hit me. Chip Zdarsky has never lied to us. And I emailed him when that first issue came out, and I said, hey man, loved this first issue, Uh, it it was a hoot. And he was like, thanks, I'm really excited uh, to do a story about uh, why Batman doesn't just buy crime, basically. Yeah. And uh, and I was like, ha 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 ha. No, he actually did that, that's what this issue is. (laughs) Like, that's what this arc is. This whole arc is like, Oh yeah, you know, if Batman doesn't become Batman, like, it's worse. <laughs> if Batman, like, if Batman o- only focuses on giving his money away and becoming a social worker, it's actually worse than if he's Batman. Yeah, I mean, one of the key points of this is, because this this goes from a story where Batman is in an alternate universe where the Joker never became the Joker, but he desperately wants to be the Joker to Batman is traveling through dozens of different universes, which include the Batman Beyond universe, the Dark Knight Returns universe, the Batman 66 universe. Can I name them off in order for you? Yeah, hit me. All right. He starts traveling through universes, and he goes to Batman 89, then yes. he goes to 
Red Rain. Then he goes to a classic D like DC comics. Then he goes to Batman, the animated series. Then he goes to the Arkham universe. He he went to Gotham by gaslight in there. He goes to Gotham by gaslight later. He goes, he, he, for one panel, he's in Gotham by gaslight. For one panel, he he goes to Gotham by gaslight. That's true. Uh, But Arkham Batman shows up. Then he meets then Batman beyond and old Bruce Wayne. Uh, Then he goes to uh, like Dick Sprang Batman. Then, more Gotham by Gaslight, then Kingdom Come, then I don't know what this one is. <laughs> I think that might be Injustice. That might be Injustice, yeah. It might but be. then he does go to Batman 66, and he does meet with Chekhov's Adam West. Who gives him a utility belt. Then he goes to Dark Knight Returns, yeah. and that whole sequence owns. And he gets he a new goes- hand. He gets a new hand from Dark Knight Returns Batman. Yeah. Gets a, gets a robot hand. Yes. Batman's just got a robot hand now. <laughs> then, he then he goes, goes to of, essentially of, the end of the universe. Like the end of time. Yeah. It's incredible. It's yeah. incredible. And as he's going through all these universes, one of the universes he or some of the universes he goes to, Batman has killed the Joker, including the Arkham universe, right? Uh, either Batman has killed the Joker or the Joker isn't around. Uh, so yeah. in the Arkham, you know, if you played the Arkham games, you know, uh, Joker dies in Arkham City, but then he possesses, or he, uh, Batman gets Joker blood in him and then hallucinates the Joker in Arkham Knight, which is actually right. like a very fun and, and well done uh, part of that game. Right. And so what he learns is that in the universes where Batman killed the Joker or the Joker went away in some other way, either the Joker always came back or things didn't get better. Yeah. And now the the red mask is going around and even if even if the Joker is gone, the red mask is the presence of the red mask is recreating the Joker. Yeah. But the, but the point is to answer that question of, well, why doesn't Batman just kill the Joker? Well, it wouldn't fix it. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. He's answering all the questions. Yes. Chip Zdarsky did a Batman run. That's like, yeah, I'm going to answer all the, I'm going to answer all the questions. I'm going to answer all the dumb questions about Batman. (laughs) Chip Zdarsky is making my job 10 years ago so much easier. <laughs> so is is this the end of Chip's run? I don't think so. Okay, good. I hope it, not. It felt like an ending. You know what I mean? It does. But I mean, like, but we do get a the end on the <laughs> book wildest last page I've ever seen. All the alternate Batman of Zurin are. Yeah. The the thing I texted Chip, and I mean this, is that this is the wildest issue of Batman I have ever read. That <laughs> I have ever read. <laughs> I have not read all of them. I have read most of them. Yeah. Yeah. 
Which, are you ready for, for the Batman 89 of Zuran R? I don't think you are. <laughs> Here's the thing for me. And the moment where I was like, oh, Chip's doing that Spider-Man issue for Batman. It's the moment where Batman is confronting uh, the Red Mask. And Red Mask is trying to make the morality of Batman fighting the Joker really complicated. And saying, like, think about the unintended consequences of what you're doing. Or, like, you know, don't you think you're making things worse? And Batman very simply just answers him, it's not that complicated. I'm just trying to do the right thing. That's what Batman's about. Yeah. Yeah. He fights crime. He's a crime fighter. That's it. He's like, he's not a complex character. (laughs) Right. Like when he meets Batman 66 and Batman 66 gives him the utility belt. He's like every universe I go to, the one thing I notice about Batman is that Batman helps people. Yeah. And like, that's what Batman's about. When he's, when he's fighting, I was like sitting in my office reading this comic. And when he starts fighting the giant Joker shark, I was like, come on, come on. I know you're going to do it. You have to do it. And he did. And he did. <laughs> and the, the the fact that DC Comics DC Comics continuity Batman met Batman 66 and went, now there's a guy who's way more prepared than I am. <laughs> <laughs> that owns. That's so good. Yeah. It ends by answering another question about Batman needing a robin yes yeah yeah because yes that's exactly it matt it's the other question because because robin saves batman batman saves everybody else oh i i am it is frustrating to me that chip zadarsky is is as good at writing like gets it so much like he gets it and he gets it with spider-man and he gets it with daredevil and he gets it with batman in a way that is like almost infuriating for me (laughs) because like i never as a fan of that guy i never would have called it yeah yeah even back during Sex Criminals, like at the start of Sex Criminals, you might not have called it. Yeah, I've been I've been on the Chips and Darcy train since Prison Phonies. I was yeah. early. I am an early adopter of Chips and Darcy. I would not have told you. Here's a dude who gets superhero comics better than pretty much anybody else working in superhero comics. Because I would not have considered him to be a guy who was working in superhero comics at the time. Right. Yeah, man. It's wild that he knows all the answers to all the questions. 
at a time where I think superhero comics are obsessed with being complex. It is very refreshing to get stories that are just like, hey, this is what this guy's all about. Yeah. Well, like that, because again, when I say when when I say that he's not a complex character, what I mean is he's not a complicated character, uh, and that's not a bug; that's a feature. Right. I said many times that you know, like my my grumpy shorthand way of saying it is: Batman is a cartoon character for children, and that's not a bad thing. Like that's. Yeah. That's a selling point. That's why he is popular. That's why he's the most popular fictional character of the 20th century. But people want to push back against that. And I've never understood that. And now, I got a guy who gets it. A guy who's like, yeah. Yeah, what's Batman doing? He fights crime. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's... I I found the actual line. It's earlier in the comic than I thought it was. Because, you know, the not Joker is trying to say, like, what if this, what if that? And Batman just says, life isn't that complicated, Halliday. Good people stand against evil, and so do I. Yeah. That's Batman. Yeah. It's easy. And and the thing is, that can be as as complex as you want it to be. Because this is still a story where Batman's like, Oh boy, I got my hand cut off. I cannot afford to go into shock, or the Batman of Zurinar is going to come out. Yes, and that's complicated, but it's not complex. Yes. I, I love this comic. I love this comic. Yeah. Uh, Chips run on Batman. I don't know, man. I I I don't think it's for everybody, but it sure is for me. Maybe his spectacular Spider-Man run wasn't for everybody either, but he really figured out a way to distill these two characters into exactly what they are. I think that spectacular Spider-Man room was for everybody. <laughs> I yeah. like, these are comics that I like telling people about. And I mean, if, if you listen to this show, you know, that's what the show is, right? Like th- this is the show for comics that we like to tell people about, whether it's, it's good or bad, but like chip specializes and has proven himself to be capable of doing so many comics that I just want to tell people about. Because that, like the Spider-Man story where Spider-Man goes back in time to 60s Spider-Man and is like, hang on, time travel in the Marvel Universe, uh, where, like, you can't actually change the universe, you just create an alternate universe. So anything I do while I'm back in time isn't going to affect like my universe. I can do what it like. It's not going to change the future. It's just going to create another universe, which means I can do whatever I want, which means I'm going to go tell everybody that Norman Osborn's the green goblin <laughs> Spider-Man, like adult Spider-Man going back to teenage Spider-Man times and going and just beating the shit out of Norman Osborn and being like, Hey everybody, this guy's the green goblin. That's so good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's going to have to wrap up our comic segment. Chris. Shazam was also good. Talk. All of Kyle's comics were good. You should read them. They're great. Uh, Let's talk to Jeremy Whitley, speaking of good comics. Yeah, let's do it.
for the program this week is uh, a friend of the show, a friend of mine, a uh, comics creator that I'm a fan of, and someone that I used to get coffee with on a weekly basis back before I moved to... In the before times. In the before times. B- before when you could still get coffee with someone, but also I lived down there. <laughs> Long ago when the world was young. Yeah. Uh, it's Jeremy Whitley. Uh, Jeremy, welcome back to the show. How are you, bud? Oh, I'm I'm great. I'm afraid I have horrible news for you, though. Um, is it I, is the caribou that we used to get coffee at still there? It's still there. Um, this is actually the uh, I have tried the Bojangles hard iced tea, and it's awful. <laughs> oh yeah, I didn't think it was going to be good. <laughs> yeah, I mean the front end tastes like Bojangles iced tea. The back end tastes like. You're licking the back tire of Dale Earnhardt's number three Chevrolet. That's that's really just the the vibe it it gives. Oh well, that that sort of tracks. I that <laughs> makes sense. I I have been wary about it, if in all honesty, since the start. But partially because I don't think I can buy less than like a six pack, and I don't want that much. I, I discovered that the Food Lion down the street from me has singles for sale, which I wish I had known when I bought the twelve pack. <laughs> yeah, I, I I'll look for singles. I suppose. I do you want to know a perhaps shocking secret, Jeremy, about me? Sure. I don't really like Bojangles tea. I'm I'm gonna say I'm gonna one up you. I really don't like iced tea. <laughs> <laughs> I, my my wife like there is no like no drink in the world she would rather have than a Bojangles iced tea or a Coke Zero. But yeah, I like I don't know if it's just like I grew up with my parents drinking real bad like from the box Louisiana iced tea or what. But like I can't I can't stand it. It makes me a I guess a bad Southerner. But I enjoy. Sweet tea for the most part. Like, if I'm going through the drive-thru at Zaxby's, you know I'm getting that tea. But there's something about Bojangles sweet tea, specifically. It's like they make it in the same machine that they make the coffee in. (laughs) And Bojangles coffee is bad. Bojangles coffee is extremely bad. Oh, yeah. There's a coffee... Well... It didn't used to be like this. Jeremy, it didn't used to be like this. <laughs> That's what this show is about now. It's just we talk about the way things used to be. Yeah, I remember getting a half gallon of iced tea at Bojangles and it being pretty good. And then at some point, it it's there was this like coffee flavor that in like got into the iced tea. And that might sound appetizing to some people. Let me assure you it's not. Long story short, now when I go to Bojangles, I'm getting cheer wine. Oh yeah, that's that's the way to go. But yes, uh, Bojangles hard iced tea, uh, hot garbage. Unfortunately, uh, I I I think we may need to pivot our May snack situation <laughs> to be something else because I'm wary of the mailing it to begin with. Like I think, like I think it would just be if it, if it like it got inspected or whatever, they would just take it out and <laughs> and, and enjoy it at the U.S. Postal Service at the 
sorting center or whatever. But there's a part of my brain, there's that part of me, there's that paranoid part of my brain that's like they're going to trace it back to me <laughs> and I'm going to get some kind of fine for trying to take it out. Hard I think like not even on like a not like a legal technicality, but just like a moral one. They're like you shouldn't <laughs> you shouldn't be mailing this to other people. This shouldn't yeah, leave this out. Yeah, don't let this don't let this out. Well, Jeremy, let's talk about enough about Bojangles. We're really narrow casting here, right at the top. <laughs> uh, let's talk about the Dog Knights, which is is the reason that you are here. Yeah, what 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 is the premise? It's this is a middle grade graphic novel, right? Yep. Uh, so it's a it's a middle grade graphic novel. It's coming out from uh, Fiewell and Friends, which is an imprint of Macmillan. Um, it's actually it's coming out on the sixteenth of May. So uh, you know, very soon when this comes out, uh, it's available for pre order as well. But uh, the the story is. Basically, it's about uh, Frankie, who's a uh, non-binary middle schooler who is uh, desperately wants a dog. Their mom is uh, allergic to dogs, um, but they're they're going through some of their own stuff, and they uh, rescue a dog who's being bullied by a, uh, by a group of bullies, and in the process, uh, themselves knocked out. And when they wake up, they're in uh, this place called the uh, Omniversal Dog House where they meet the Pothion, which is this uh, team of interdimensional dog heroes who sort of represent the, the different values that the dog kind holds sacred. Um, and they offer Frankie this opportunity to become the dog knight, which is the link between the worlds of, of dogs and humans and get their own sort of superpowers uh, to go with this. But they have to first pass tests in the, the six dog values to prove that they're they're worthy of this. So they have to uh, pass tests for uh, loyalty, justice, uh, honesty, and uh, kindness, and stubbornness, and smell, of course. <laughs> now, where, where exactly did you come up with that list of dog qualities? Because I could think of six other qualities <laughs> that certain dogs have, such as podcast ruining. <laughs> I mean, podcast ruining is more of just like, a, it's like an opportunity, you know? It's it's something that only certain dogs have figured out how to do. Yeah, it's it's not uh, inherent to all dogs. Only and, and I've been listening to this podcast long enough to know that cats like to get in on that one, too. That's true. Not, in, not uh, just a dog quality. Jeremy, let me tell you what I love to see. I love to see a council of... Elders seated in big chairs in like a fancy hall oh, with yeah. designs on the back of the chairs. Oh yeah, it's it's a classic. It never goes out of style. Yeah, uh, there is a there is a dog council in the Dog Night that is exactly what I'm into. Exactly what I'm looking for. <laughs> yeah, they're they're called the Pantheon. Like you know, <laughs> like Pantheon, but with right. paws. Okay, you mentioned that. I, I yeah. that is the Pantheon. Okay, yeah, and uh, yeah, I think my favorite. They all have like dog pun names uh, because that's what I'm into. Uh, <laughs> but my favorite, I think, is the Yorkshire Terror, who uh, 
is basically a Yorkie that thinks he's Batman. That's fantastic. That's very good. <laughs> That's very good. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you come up with an idea and you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I am good at this. That's, <laughs> let, me just, let me just take the rest of the day off. <laughs> it's it's a rare thing. It's a rare thing to have a moment where you go, I I feel good about this idea. <laughs> yeah, that's, I have no that's enough for today. I have no reservations about this idea. So it's just, it's just a walk off homer, you know, just <laughs> throw the bat and go home yeah. from that one. So one thing we've discussed a lot on this program, Jeremy, is the sort of vagaries of naming when someone's named blaze you dead homie <laughs> it can be interpreted in many ways yeah it's, it's all about the comma usage exactly similarly when a character is named the dog knight there are many interpretations of that name and yeah, one, one might assume that the knight is a dog. Uh, so was the idea that the dog knight would be a person who is the human representative of dogs from the beginning, was there ever a sense that the dog knight would be an actual dog? It was always the idea that like, it would be a human that, you know, is, is the knight of dogs is representing the dogs in like the sort of, you know, traditional Arthurian sense. Um, <laughs> It had not occurred to me that there might be uh, a dog who was a knight until I, um, well, like this is a, this is a book that spent several years coming out. And since, since we started working on this book, there has been a, uh, a bad animated movie about a dog who is a knight and some sort of tabletop RPG that seems to be uh, furry based um, about a, uh, anthropomorphic dog who is a knight. So it's a, it's an interesting path. Everybody, everybody's got their own interpretations of these th- three words, two words I, even. I have to say, I bringing up like this movie about bad animated movie about a dog knight. I I, I sincerely don't know what that is. Yeah, <laughs> me neither. <laughs> But, until but until you, I started Google searching as like reviews were coming out, and I was like, "Oh, this is new since I named the book this." Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, oh, here it is. It is called the Dog Knight, Dog Tanyon. That is that is why. each pun more tortured than the last. Yes, <laughs> I know as a person who has put out some books in my time. That once you have a project that's about something, you suddenly become hyper aware of anything that's even remotely close to it. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And I mean, like, Princess was like that to a to this extreme level that like Princess started coming out, and it was like this is revolutionary. It's a, it's a thing about a, you know, princess who's stuck in a tower who decides to save herself. And then like within six months of the first issue coming out, like tangled and brave both came out. <laughs> I was like, you, oh. did get, you did get there first. You did get yeah. there. First. 
Yeah, I didn't get there nearly as loudly as the Walt Disney Corporation. But. Yeah, sure. But you can claim, you may, you may not be able to cl- claim biggest, but you can claim first. <laughs> sure, absolutely. Disney regrets that it has come to this. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have more on, on, on dogs? Um, <laughs> It's fine if not. Yeah, I mean, you know, there it's... I think it's a fun book if you enjoy, like, uh, you know, dogs, if you enjoy coming-of-age adventures, if you enjoy, um, you know, stories about queer kids finding their place in the world. Um, and it's, you know, it's sort of coming from, from every direction. There's, you know, just enough uh, emotional manipulation around dogs. It's not a straight-up we three situation. I'm not going to kill off any dogs in this book, so... Um, you know, you, you can enjoy it and enjoy uh, dogs and, you know, coming-of-age stories. I, I think it's like, I you know, not to pat myself on the back, but I think it's funny. So, <laughs> it's, it's good, right? Did you have to sit down and think about, like, how much dog danger am I going to have to, to put in this book? Like, what is the, what are the units, how many, how many millowicks of dog danger am I going to put in this book? I think, like, it being a middle-grade book, it's like, there's a certain level of, like, as something could happen to the dogs, but it's not going to be, like, horrible stuff happening to dogs. You know, if I if I turned in, uh, if I turned in a, a Wick-esque proposal, I think my, my editor would be like, hey, uh, calm the fuck down. <laughs> this well, book is I, for children. Traditionally speaking, media for children will will put a dog in danger in a heartbeat. Yeah, I I guess uh Oliver and Company really puts the light of that one, huh? I I just I don't remember that movie being as uh frightening and as it was as it turned out to be when I did show it to my 4-year-old. Um and I was like, "Oh no. This this movie's terrifying actually." <laughs> I wish I could say I have not thought about Oliver and Company for a long time, but the truth is, there's like a little piece of one of the songs that is lodged in my brain like a bullet that I, every now and then just like flares up, and it's all I can, it's all I can think about. Is it is it the ooh oohs on the Billy Joel song? So, no, but I believe it is from the Billy Joel song. <laughs> Between watching Oliver and Company as a child and the fact that my dad. Uh, has a, a lifelong um, love uh, uh, obligation to Billy Joel in a way that only people who are roughly like our parents' age can. Uh, yeah, I'm very familiar with that song. It's never, never far from my mind. I would. Uh, you say obligation to Billy Joel, like Billy Joel saved his life. <laughs> I mean, he's not Phil Collins. Who doesn't save people's lives? Uh, well, I'm sure Phil Collins doesn't. Phil Collins doesn't intervene when he sees a guy see a guy. Yeah. <laughs> if yeah. anything, Billy Joel's insistence that he didn't start the fire raises a lot of suspicions. I'll yeah, say he, he protested Gabriel it too much. Been yeah. In that water, <laughs> <laughs> immediately. Sure. Uh, sure. Here's my thing, Jeremy, about the dogs in danger situation. 
usually, you know, when when dogs are imperiled in stories, they are not in a position of power like yeah. they are in the Dog Knight. Like in the Dog Knight, dogs are kind of in charge. People may not know it, but they they have a power structure that they don't often have in other kinds of stories, right? Oh yeah, there's there's a, a a secret pact between humans and dogs that humans are not aware of. That you know, humans take in dogs and and treat them as pets and and love them, and dogs are secretly protecting us from the forces of chaos that lurk all around us. You know, little little gremlins and shadow creatures and things like that. And so like that's you know that's why the you know the dogs bark at things that don't exist and uh, you know do all sorts of crazy uh, tricks dashing around our house is because they're they're taking care of the gremlins for us. Oh, is that why? That's why. <laughs> I see. Yeah, you must you must have like a serious gremlin situation, Chris. That's all I can figure. I you know, Chris, I I'm gonna try my best to make sure that uh Biscuit is not audible in, in this interview, but I guess so listeners know. I I guess she knew what the interview was about. <laughs> and she just really, really wanted to get in on this. She had some questions. If yeah. you do wind up leaving these long pauses where I have muted my mic because someone <laughs> is screaming at nothing, then then Jeremy, I might have some fundamental disagreements with your book. Your book might be promoting behavior that I don't appreciate. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know, you you never you can't really understand the ways in which you're you're being protected with you know with our small our small human minds. We're not really on the same level here as uh, whatever the hell it is that dogs are doing. Um, my biscuit likes to uh, like our one of our windows in our dining room faces our neighbors and like faces uh, like where their back door is. So like every time they you know go out to their garage or they come out to take the garbage out, biscuit loses her mind because she just sees through the curtains that there's you know movement of some kind and she you know flips out. And the other day I was getting ready to leave and I, I saw my neighbors and I was like, hey, uh, Biscuit was actually upstairs barking at them from the upstairs window because it was open mm-hmm. and they and so they could, she could really let them have it. And I said, hey, I'm, I'm sorry that she barks all the time. And my neighbor uh, said, hey, that's totally okay. We don't mind at all. We like to think of it as Biscuit protecting both of our houses. And I was like, that is the nicest thing that you could have said that is so unnecessarily kind to this horrible goblin that I live with. So my dog, Ace, we've had for about, we've had for a little more than two years now. Uh, Ace doesn't bark at anything, um, which is troubling in its own right. Like literally people could just bust in here and steal all of our stuff. And Ace would roll over so that he could get his belly rubbed. But, uh, he does have a tendency to like suddenly jerk to attention and then just wander and go look out the window where there doesn't appear to be anything going on out there. And it's just like, what, what, what do you know? What's going on, buddy? Let's, uh, let's talk about 
Is it is it Brie or Bray Indigo? Who Brie. Brie Indigo. Um, let's talk about working with Brie on this. Like, how did the two of you connect on to to work on the Dog Night? Uh, Brie is great. So, like, we. Um, this was a weird case of a book that I kind of got sold on a very little, just like a very basic pitch. Um, just kind of like what I had told you guys, I was, you know, still sort of working out the details and you know, my, my agent Mo was like, Hey, I think I know exactly who to send this to. And before I knew it, like things were moving on that, uh, which is, is an unusual experience as comic people, you know? And, uh, they were like, Hey, you know, we, we really want to do this. Um, you know, we're, we're not a traditional, you know, comics publishing company, but like, we really like this book. We want to do it, but we want to have like a say in the style of the art. We want it to be something that, that works for us. And I was like, I was like, yeah, I'm fine with that. The big thing is, you know, with the main character of this book being non-binary, I want to have an artist who is non-binary who can like provide insight and, you know, tell us helpful stuff that maybe I'm missing, you know, help with the design stuff in a way that makes sense rather than it be somebody that I then have to explain it to secondhand. Um, and they were like, yeah, we're absolutely, we want to do that. And they brought me back like a whole, whole group of uh, five or six artist samples, all of whom, you know, were non-binary artists. And Breeze was like, I saw their art and I was like, yes, that's it. That's the one that's perfect. And, you know, luckily they were available and uh, you know, they've, they've, been working on comics not nearly as long as, as I have, but they have their own like web comic and they'd just done an adaptation of, of little women. Um, and like all of their stuff was, was beautiful. Like they're, they got the hang of it way better than I did at, you know, that point in my career. Um, and they've, they've just been a dream to work with. They're so like excited about the book. They have so many like ideas and designs. And you know, it was one of those that like early on, it felt like, they were really like, hey, you know, I don't want to bother you with, you know, these ideas or these questions. And I was like, no, just hit me with it. Like any any questions, anything you want to know, anything you want to add, like I'm there for it. And uh, yeah, they've they've been really great. And we're working on the second book now. This is going to be a, a trilogy at least. Um, and yeah, their their stuff is so they're so cute. The facial expressions are so good, even on like the dogs. That was something that I felt like was really vital in this is that like the dogs have a lot of personality. Yeah, um, I was I was gonna bring that up because there's like a real it's a real tightrope walk, I feel like, to draw dogs that are recognizably dogs of particular breeds mm-hmm. and don't look like weird little monsters. Yeah. Or or like people with four legs on on them while still yeah having them be expressive and like not too realistic at the same time it's it's you know you got to stay out of that uncanny valley and like the dogs in here are just like exactly that sweet spot i feel like oh, yeah. of like realistic enough and cartoony enough at the same time. Yeah. I mean, we've all been reading and working on comics long enough that occasionally like you read that book that's by like a superstar artist who like can draw 
you know, sexy ladies and huge muscly men, no problem. They can knock it out hundred for a hundred. But then they're like, draw a baby. And they're like, is that an old man, but small? Um, and <laughs> yeah, it's like, that, that uh, like nah. Richie rich and, and Archie comics, like from back in the day when they would be like at the beach and you see Richie rich with his shirt off. And it's like, that is a demon. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like, is this, is this, Supposed to look like the baby Jesus from Renaissance paintings, exactly. Up gang signs, you know. <laughs> I was going to say there is a long, long tradition in art, including fine art, of babies that look like old men. But yeah, we had a, a weird, like working on My Little Pony. We had like a weird series of that where like people would come in and they'd be great artists and they draw the ponies to look like ponies, and people were like, "No, that's not it." You cannot make that thing look like a horse. It does not work. It will be a nightmare. It will be a nightmare show if like the ponies actually look like horses. You have to draw them to look like weird sausage dogs. Um, yes. So like, it's it's you gotta like hit that that weird in between mark of like cartoony, but like still recognizably the thing. Yeah, I mean, My Little Pony is a different thing because you have to be like perfectly on model for the cartoon. Oh yeah. It's a weird beast. Yeah. Well, it's lots of weird beasts. Yeah. Which in the cartoon, they're not really horses. They are their own thing. In this, all these dogs are very recognizably dogs of specific breeds. Like I can look at one of these dogs on the cover and be like, that's a collie, you know? Yeah. But they're also, that perfect level of like cartoon dog where like it, when they talk, it's not jarring. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think some of that was like finding the right combination of like dog breeds that it's like, Oh, you can tell that that's this kind of dog and not that kind of dog. Like a British bulldog is very easily definable as a British bulldog. And you know, if you started having a lot of like, just common dog breeds in there. It's like, well, those all kind of look the same when they're, you know, in the background of a panel. But, you know, if you have a little beagle and then, you know, a collie and a, a British bulldog and you know all that stuff, you, you really like get that variety and it's, you know, it makes it much easier for like them to be in, in a panel together. And you're not just to be like, those are several dogs. It's very easy to identify the British bulldog. It's just, that's the one with the cornrows. Yeah, the one with the cornrows and the little like dangly things on his arms, yeah. you know, right on the biceps. The, the one who's with the Mean Street Posse. <laughs> That's it. I I could I could say so many mean jokes about Davy Boy Smith right now, but I won't. <laughs> I'm going to hold back. You would never confuse him with the junkyard dog. You see, like that's important. Yes. For so many yes. reasons. <laughs> it doesn't say thump on his butt. True. That's the number one. Very true. I, I Well, is it the number one? <laughs> well, uh, Jeremy, we could uh, continue talking about dogs and talking to dogs uh, all night long. But we do want to get in some questions from our listeners. And Matt... If the people want to get in on these uh, discussions that we have here on the show with our friends, when we have discussions with our friends here on the show, 
How exactly can they go about that? Hey, Chris, I'm going to go way... I'm going to diverge from my typical instructions here. Okay. Hey, you know what, listeners? Delete your fucking Twitter. (laughs) Delete it. Get off of there. I wish I could leave. I need an account for my job. And I have to keep tweeting from podcast accounts. I couldn't even switch accounts earlier this week. It would just log me out when I tried to go from one account to another. This website is a shit show. Leave it. Leave it behind. Let me leave. <laughs> and instead... for having encouraged people for so many years? Yes. To sign up for an account on yeah. Twitter.com? Yes. I, I feel guilt about it every day. That's too I, much. That's too much guilt, Matt. That's, that's my life, Chris. Like, but, I, but, there's... I know you guys have referenced this same thing recently, but like every time I'm on Twitter, I feel like there's too much shit on me. I don't want to be, be around anymore. Yes, very much, very much the case. Uh, if you are on Twitter, though, still, you can wait there until Thursday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. That's 6.30 Pacific. And uh, watch out for the tweet from the War Rocket Pod Twitter account. That's our show's Twitter account asking for questions for our guest if we happen to be interviewing a guest that night or preferably you can get an account on our discord the war rocket ajax discord a thriving community of war rocket ajax fans Uh, it is by invitation only so ask us for an invitation and we will get you uh one to the discord so you can ask questions there in the listener questions channel just like these you're about to hear for jeremy whitley and jeremy we'll start with this question for chris kaiser uh your gwenpool run just wrapped up chris wants to know which dc character would you make a gwenpool amalgam with oh wow that's a tough one um I feel like the answer that people would readily go for is Superboy Prime, but he sucks. I so. was going to say, that's that's <laughs> the equivalent character. Yeah. <laughs> he sucks. I hate him. Um, I mean, I, I think there is a, an alternative that we could go for. Who is Ambush Bug? Yeah, that's... That was my my next thought. I don't know what the status of Ambush Bug is. Has Ambush Bug existed like post New Fifty Two? I believe so. That's a complicated question. <laughs> yeah, Ambush Bug would be great. Ambush Bug has appeared since the New Fifty Two, so Ambush Bug counts. If you if you wanted to mash up Gwynpool and Ambush Bug, yeah, either either Gwynpool or. Uh, Really troubling answer. Doctor Manhattan is is kind of the, in a way, the equivalent over there now. <laughs> that's true. That's, that's that's a terrifying prospect. Let me let me throw let me throw this at you, Jeremy. The Gwen who pools. <laughs> the Gwen okay, you think about it. For, listeners, think about it for a minute. You'll get it. You'll get there. Yeah. Yeah. 
This is, all these answers are troubling. <laughs> Look, all these answers are, are terribly troubling. Uh, Gwyn Gwyn Bush Bug Bug yeah. Pool <laughs> Ambush Pool. There, there's a way to make that happen. I I think that's I think that's the path, the path to not wanting to think about things that you don't want to think about. You know, like, she she actually might work as like a bat mite. Like that's true. If we did like a, you know, Gwynpool specifically harassing Batman is sort of. I mean, that sounds like a good time to me. Is like that that feels like Lego Batman in a lot of ways. <laughs> Just like Gwyn constantly challenging Batman on everything and, and being in his face, but also hugging him. Um, yeah. I don't know. Maybe that might might be the the least troubling way to go. Or yeah, or ambush bug. We have we have options. Yeah. Uh, Stone Cold HCC, an account that exists only to ask questions on Moroccan Ajax, wants to know why would a superhero ever want to name themselves after a blue beetle? They taste like crap. I mean, have you tasted a bat before the Stone Cold? I, I I wish I could answer that for you or for Stone Cold. <laughs> I do not know the answer. Yeah, I, I mean, name, naming yourselves after things based on how they taste in in uh, in superheroes is not not necessarily a tradition. But is there any superhero named after something that tastes good? Well, I. He's not a superhero, but Condiment King. That that's supervillain. Yeah. Eel O'Brien, I guess. Sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm lie awake thinking about this question tonight. <laughs> uh, Uzi on our Discord wants to know what's the best talking dog movie. Ooh, we've already mentioned Oliver and Company. So any movie where the like the dog doesn't necessarily have to talk to humans, it, they could only talk to other dogs. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Um, I'm gonna have to think about this one. Do you, Do you have an answer, Chris? You sounded like you were working on something. No. Because but it's not. It's not that Peabody and Sherman movie. That's for sure. And and like none of the Scooby Doo movies are very good. That is yeah. true. That is true. Air Bud never spoke. Now the so, Air Buddies do, but but those are upsetting <laughs> as well. That's a terrible. They're horrible movies. People have strong feelings about Homeward Bound. Yeah, but, I mean, you got Michael J. Fox dog. Mm. Yeah, I, uh, I would have to go back. I would have to revisit it before I could really. Uh, tie myself to Homeward Bound. Uh, Up has a, a, a talking dog, right? I haven't seen it, because yeah. yeah. I thought it might yeah. make me sad. Oh, it will make you sad. I don't In the like first that. five minutes, it's gonna get you, buddy. I, yeah, I don't like that. I don't like being sad. I don't like being sad, and I don't like being scared. That's not what I want for movies. Okay, now, he is not the central character, but there is a talking dog in Babe, and Babe is a damn fine movie. I think we can count it. We can count Babe as a talking dog movie. I mean, people would call it a talking pig movie. You say that like that's not the most accurate description. 
of that movie. People would call it. <laughs> but it is, it is. There are many other talking animals in Babe. So we'll we'll count it. All right. Nothing in the rule book says it can't be a talking dog movie. <laughs> Robert Secundus wants to know. Uh, this is the number one Gwynpool question. If two guys were on the moon and one of them killed the other with a rock, would that be fucked up or what? Yes. Agreed. I think that would be fucked up. Agreed. Yeah. I, I think uh, that's, we can make the the bold statement here on the War Arcade Text podcast. Uh, astronaut murder of any kind. Is we'd say no, we'd say no, thank you. The morality of a Cain and Abel doesn't change just because it's on the moon. Now, I mean, if one of those guys is a billionaire who paid to get flown to the moon, that's not an astronaut. Did they say? Did they say two they astronauts or two, two guys, guys on the moon? On the moon yeah, yeah. If one of them is Elon Musk, then I mean, that sounds like a favor more than anything. Wow, that's Jer- Jeremy Whitley is speaking as a private citizen. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't say I'm not saying I would murder Elon Musk with a rock on the moon. Uh, I am much too out of shape to be an astronaut. <laughs> I, th- I I think the best thing would be just to move on. <laughs> I did have a dream once uh, where. No, hang on. Irrelevant. So you didn't have a dream? No, I did. Look, okay. I did have a dream once. I thought it was about the first murder on the moon. And then I remember that it was actually, uh, I was supposed to wrestle Triple H in the first (laughs) WrestleMania from the moon, which is a very different situation that is not relevant to what we were talking about. Chris, WrestleMania. (laughs) I mean, yeah. That's what that's what I would call it, Matt. Yeah. So I mean, if a guy pedigrees another guy on the moon, is that fucked up? No, I think that would be cool, actually. <laughs> that would that would that would rule, actually. Because it would be like all slow. Yeah, because I mean, the, the pedigree would be great. I think I think the fame master would be even better on the moon. You just like really get a jump over that, yeah. you know. What would, would be just... the best wrestling move on the moon? I would still the Stunner. Canadian Destroyer. <laughs> like, could you imagine The Rock taking a Stunner on the moon and doing that, like, that jump, cell. spring backwards <laughs> cell? <laughs> landing on the other side of the moon? That would be fantastic. That is true. You've, you've sold me, I think. <laughs> uh, Kate Bishop, real name. Wants to know if there's any chance for a Nadia and Gwynpool team up. I mean, I know the answer to that, and there is currently a preview of the Pride special that's coming out in June that I didn't write, but does feature both Nadia and Gwyn. Um, so there is definitely uh, at least you know a, a one one short story in that anthology coming. I would like to do a lot more stuff with them. I mean, I would. I would write those two uh, till I died if they'd let me, because they're both so much fun to write. Um, but yeah, I, I think that would be that would be and will be fantastic. Uh, Settle chaos 
on Twitter wants to know if Gwenpool and Nancy were to meet, would they become friends or enemies? I think it would have to be enemies first and then eventually begrudging friends. Yeah. Like their chaos energies would definitely clash at first. I have to suspect they they would spend, you know, months like back and forth between the strips and the comics, uh, dueling each other, you know, in the, in the space between panels, uh, (laughs) before eventually being like, you know, what would actually be much more fun if the two of us just teamed up and fucked with everybody else. Um, yes. Yeah. And that would be Nancy nearly won the great indoor fight. The, they would be quite a force together to reckon with. Yeah, that would likely be the end of either uh, the Marvel Universe or newspapers. I mean, <laughs> it seems yeah. much much easier to kill these days. But yeah, the, if they took on the newspaper comics page, watch out, watch out. Oh, yeah, and just show up and start beating the shit out of Dagwood. You know, it's yeah. Just... Uh, Margo, not Kitty Pride on our discord asks, what is Gwenpool's favorite Marvel run? We know she's read her X-Men. Uh, yeah, she is established in, in this story that I just finished as being both a big fan of, uh, new X-Men and Academy X and also Avengers Academy. And also she mentions being really in, having been really into runaways at one point. Um, and also Power Pack. I would say probably, I'd say probably ultimately it would be Avengers Academy, um, because that's got the same kind of energy as, uh, as the, the stuff that she's into. And it also has Julie, who we've established that, uh, she had a, a big old crush on and, uh, Loved in that, and is, is one of her favorite characters. So, uh, yeah, probably that old uh, Christos Gage Avengers Academy, a fine, a fine book. Uh, this is our last comment from Twitter from Two Weird Queers on Twitter. Uh, I don't know how to turn this into a question, but your future foundation kicked ass. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's uh, getting difficult to find because it was very short, but like. <laughs> Yeah, I really, I really enjoyed those weird science kids. Um, love to do more stuff with them, and yeah, I got to pull Julie into the Gwynpool story, and that's been, that's been a ball. Well, Jeremy, even with dog interruptions, which honestly appropriate for this interview, yeah, uh, it has been great to have you on the show, as it always is. Uh, please let our listeners know where they can follow you, where they can find the Dog Night and where they can find uh, your other stuff. Well, if you are still foolish enough to be on Twitter, as I am, uh, I am jrome58 on there. It's J-R-O-M-E-5-8. Uh, I'm on Tumblr at jeremywhitley.tumblr.com, on my website at jeremywhitley.com, and on my podcast, uh, Progressively Horrified, every week talking about uh, um, politics and uh, horror movies. Um you can come check us out there. And then, uh, yeah, the dog night is out May 16th. Uh, it should be available in, uh, all comic books and bookstores. Um, and you can 
if you can't find it where you are, you can order it through the Macmillan site or uh, Ultimate Comics here in Durham from their website is is doing uh, sales of you know signed copies of it, which I'll be I'll be signing in store um, right after release. So you can uh, order from there and, and get your signed copy as well. All right, our guest has been Jeremy Whitley. Uh, go check out the Dog Knight and everything uh, that Jeremy's written. It's all good. Jeremy, thank, thank you so you. much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thanks once again to Jeremy Whitley for joining us for the program this week. Uh, and thank you, listener, for, for joining us and inviting us into your homes once again. Yes, thank you very much. If you would like to get in touch with us, there are a handful of different ways to do that. You can email us at our email address, which is warrocketpodcast at gmail.com. That is also where you can send us every story ever lists or let us know if you want to sponsor the show or also send uh, Thursday night raw entries. You can hit us up on Tumblr as well. We're on Tumblr at warrocketpodcast.tumblr.com. We're on Twitter at warrocketpod and we have a discord that you should ask us for an invitation to, if uh, you'll be nice there, please be nice there. Our website is warrocketajax.com. It has every episode of the show we've ever done. So, Go check that out. War Rocket Wiki is the fan-run repository of all the information you could ever need about this very show, War Rocket Ajax. If you want to find me and my stuff, you can go to mattdwilson.net to find links to my books, my comics, my other podcasts, and my social medias. Chris, where can people find you? Everybody can find me by going to the-isb.com. That is my website, and it has links to all the things that I do. Uh, Got a, a piece... If you're looking for my writing, it's pretty much just the War Rocket Ajax Patreon now. And I've got a piece on uh, Persona 5 coming up uh, pretty soon for that website. We will be back next week with another guest. We've got another one lined up. we got another one lined up, folks. It's going to be a wrestling-heavy episode next time. Plan accordingly. And be here for it. Until that that does it for this one though, uh, Matt. I feel good about it. Good show. Good show. Good show. Good. Uh, even though I had to hold the microphone in my hand and my arm is tired, good show. Even though I had to mute my mic for most of the interview because my dog has also has mental illness. <laughs> Just, I, I love her so much. See you next week, everybody. Until then, don't forget: Black Lives Matter. Trans rights are human rights. As are abortion rights. Drag is not a crime. And cops aren't your friends. But we love you. We love you. Yeah!